Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Welcome today to Episode 2 of our podcast, Stand By My Servants. In this episode, we're going to focus on the need for living prophets today. You know, in order to transition into this idea of why we need living prophets, one of the things I love to share with my students at BYU is that these prophet seers and revelators, these apostles, were really, really wonderful good men who tried to live their lives close to the Spirit long before the church even really knew who they were. And when I say the church, I mean on a general level. Here's an example of that in the life of President Nelson. On one occasion, he and Dancel were combining five days of surgical meetings with a vacation in Colorado Springs. But during the third night, President Nelson was troubled by an uneasy feeling that just wouldn't go away. He woke Danzel up late in the night and said, let's just pack and go home. Now keep in mind, this is long before the days of cell phones and, and other technology. Within minutes, they were on their way to the airport with no reservations. They nevertheless got seats on the next flight from Denver. They arrived at the Salt Lake uh, Airport an hour later. And from the airport, President Nelson called his secretary and just simply said, who's looking for me? And she said, how did you know? And then she said, you are needed at the hospital. One of the members of the Quorum of the Seventy is not in good shape right now. This member of the Seventy had experienced symptoms of a heart attack during the night, and testing indicated a complete obstruction of one of the coronary arteries. President Kimball had arrived and had given this general authority a blessing while the operating room was prepared. Just as Dr. Nelson began operating, the heart, attack, the heart attack came. Emergency procedures stabilized the circulation and the surgery was successfully performed. And then our general authority recovered and was able to resume his heavy responsibilities. But I love the fact that, that President Nelson knew. The Spirit just was guiding him, in, even in a place where here he was having a, a relaxing vacation, hopefully with his wife, having some medical meetings, but the Spirit was, was upon him. So one of the things I like to ask of all of us is, have you had the opportunity to meet an apostle or prophet? And what was that like for you? Now, I will not pretend that I just am best friends with our apostles and prophets, although I think that'd be super cool. I have had occasions to meet them, and I've always been grateful for those meetings. I've never had a negative experience personally. In fact, one time I remember in Dallas, they gathered all the bishops in multiple stakes on a Saturday afternoon in the fall for a four-hour four training meeting. And President Udorf at the time, as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, presided at that meeting. And I remember just before we started, and I was thinking to myself, look, this is a great meeting. It's going to go on for a long time. But there's like a BYU football game today. I mean, how in the world are we having this uh, training meeting with, with a BYU football game going on? But anyway, I got past that pretty quick. 
But our elder Uddorf at the time said, we would like to meet all of you. And, and so we came up row by row, and there were several other general authorities there. And they shook our hands, and we had a small conversation with each one. And it was a reminder that in 3 Nephi chapter 11, when the Nephites go up and, and, and visit with the Savior, that he probably wasn't like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's keep moving. And I think for President Udorf and others, for every person's hands that were, sh- that were shaken, for every person that was greeted, there was a warm greeting. There were, there were you know, questions about uh, our lives and what we were doing, and there was genuine interest. And I still remember that when I met uh, President Udorf briefly, he just said, Ogletree, that's an interesting name. Where does that come from? We had a little discussion about that, and... <clears throat> It was just, it was great to have that meeting, but here's the thing. Then, after we all went up, and it took an hour for, I mean, we had so many people there at that meeting. I don't know if I've ever listened more intently in a training meeting than I ever had that one. And it was just because you just felt the love of these men that they had for us. And I was all ears. I had my pen out and pencil and paper, and I was ready to, I was ready to learn. And uh, anyway, great, great experience. And there have been others like that that I've been so grateful for. There's no doubt that we live in a crazy world with many challenges, with instability, with social upheaval, with political division, and with a lot of other problems economically, challenges in families, with health. You know, in Second Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, and right in the chapter heading, it says it so well, described the apostasy and perilous times in the last days. He said, this know also, in verse 1, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. We see many despisers today of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You know, one of the things I like to do in my Living Prophets class is pull up the topical guide. You know, in other words, the cross-references for those five verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and here's what you get. Covetousness, pride, contention, disobedience, ingratitude, sexual immorality, dishonesty, slanderers, without self-control, rebellion, rash, reckless, puffed up, conceited, pleasure, apostasy. And if those, if those words don't describe the day that we live in so well. I don't know what does, but that is the world that we live in. And I believe that that makes a great case for why we need prophets, seers, and revelators now more than almost any other time in our world's history. I could not imagine living on this earth in the turmoil that we live in without prophets and apostles to give us guidance and direction and promises of safety and peace and protection. Years ago, President Spencer W. Kimball taught this principle. He said in the seven two-hour sessions of the last general conference, 
Truths were taught, doctrines expounded, exhortations given, enough to save the whole world from all of its ills. And I mean all its ills. Now, President Kimball was really emphasizing that point to say that the truths taught in General Conference could really bless everyone in the world if people would just live the teachings and the principles that are taught in those meetings. Now let's talk about the church as a moving target just for a minute. Not, maybe the, not the church, but the times that we live in. Here's something that Joseph Smith said in The History of the Church, Volume 2, page 52, that we are differently situated from any other people that ever existed on the earth. And consequently, those former revelations cannot be suited to our conditions. Or in other words, the revelations in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament just don't really apply to us across the board in 1830. So think about that in this context of what what were some of the challenges that your parents faced when they were your age? Or how about this, when they were in high school or college? And think about your grandparents and the challenges that they faced when they were in high school or college. And then it's like, wow, the world that we live in now, the challenges that my children and grandchildren face are incredible compared to the ones that I faced. And so, yes, when it comes to revelation, when it comes to directions from prophets, the world we live in now is like a, it's like a different planet from the world that people lived in a hundred years ago. I think it's a different planet from five years ago. And so then here's a great principle taught in the book, The Holy Temple by Elder Packer, page 137, Revelation is a continuous principle in the church, and in one sense, the church is still being organized. As light and knowledge are given, as prophecies are fulfilled, and more intelligence is received, another step forward can be taken, he said. Or, President Nelson, who's made this very clear, that we are witnesses to the process of restoration. And if you think the church is fully restored, you're just seeing the beginning. There's more, much more to come, he said. In fact, that's when... He said close to that time in another meeting that wait till next year, eat your vitamin pills, get your rest, because the idea is that more changes are coming, right? Now back to Elder Boyd K. Packer, conference report, 1989. He said the gospel plan was revealed line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. There will be changes made in the future as in the past. Whether the brethren make changes or resist them depends entirely upon the instructions they receive through revelation. Now, here's a key principle. Doctrines will remain fixed, eternal. The organization, programs, procedures will be altered as directed by him whose church this is. But one of the things that we can rest assured of is the plan of salvation is not going to change. The doctrines of the gospel, the atonement, the resurrection, all the saving ordinances, those aren't going to change. Yeah, we may have some changes in our young women's program or young men's program or other procedures. We may be doing things different in our meetings. Even procedures in the temple could be altered and changed. But the doctrines are going to remain the same. So the question is, is what changes have you seen the church make in your lifetime? You know, it wasn't long ago that I would share this this information with my classes. And I just wanted to share with them what major changes that I have seen since I joined the church in 1981. 
1981, the church had just moved into a three-hour block. That was one significant change. Before, as some of you may remember, I wasn't part of it, but I know some of you may remember this. You'd go to church to Sunday school in the morning. Maybe sacrament meeting was at night. Maybe maybe priesthood meeting was in the morning as well or some other time. I know my wife tells me of the days when primary, it wasn't on Sunday. It was like on a Tuesday. Uh, and, and, the, and the church meetings were kind of spread everywhere. And so we had this consolidated schedule with a three-hour block that just started in the 1980s. We know that the temple endowment has changed. I joined the church in July of 1981. In that month, Elder Gordon B. Hinckley was called to be the third counselor in the First Presidency, the third counselor. And that was because President Kimball, along with his counselors, President N. Eldon Tanner and Marion G. Romney, had not been well. Missions changed to 18 months And then about a year, maybe two years later, missions changed back to 24 months. We used to have a 70s quorum. There was an elders quorum, a high priest group, and a 70s quorum in every ward. And that changed uh, back in the day where uh, 70s were eliminated in local wards and stakes. They still held on to that position uh, or to that that office in the priesthood, but they weren't meeting uh, as a group. We had regional representatives, and then those changed to Area Authority 70s. We added additional quorums of the 70. First a second quorum, and then a third and fourth, and then an eighth, and then a tenth. And anyway, smaller temples came to be. The conference center was built. The bishop was designated as the key person responsible for missionary work in the ward, and missionary work was moved from a stake level to a ward level. No more stake missionaries, but ward missionaries. A new edition of scriptures came out. Virtue was added to the Young Women's Personal Progress Program. A new budget program came out. In fact, the elimination of building fund was a big part of that. I remember being a newly married man, meeting with my bishop, and him asking us how much money we could donate to the building fund that year. Uh, That was a thing. The Perpetual Education Fund has come out. You know, I remember when Elder Packer stood in general conference and shared with us a new title for the Book of Mormon, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. I'm sure there are other changes uh, like that as well. Uh, We've had elimination of an activities committee in the ward. We've had the For Strength of Youth pamphlet altered several times. We've had Preach My Gospel come out. We've had the uniform system for missionary monthly payments at $400 a month. I remember living in a ward where once one of the families in the ward that were quite wealthy, their son got sent to Guatemala where it was $28 a month. And then another family who the father was a school teacher, uh, their son got called to Japan where it was like five or six or $700 a month. So that has been a great blessing and the lives of our families in the church that are supporting missionaries and missionaries themselves. All the different websites that have come out over the years, uh, the Come Follow Me curriculum, the missionary age change is huge, the elimination of the scouting program, ministering, uh, the elimination of the high priest group, mission calls open electronically now. There's not a big envelope that you open. Priests and laurels working at the baptistry of the temple and other changes coming. 
you know, it was interesting. Those were kind of the changes that occurred in my lifetime. Like, you know, you could say kind of like in this 30 year span of, of being a church member. And then President Nelson shows up and, and it changes drastically and even quite quickly. And I can't list all the changes, but just every, some of these changes, by the way, have been so rapid that I think we don't even process them fully. But the, of course, the two-hour block uh, has been a huge change, ministering versus home and visiting teaching. How about the idea that now missionaries could call home weekly? I remember well, and many of you do, that you got you were able to make two phone calls a year, Mother's Day and Christmas, you know. Uh, missionaries can call home weekly now. Uh, how about the option of a service mission? Uh, more more modifications to the temple endowment. The discontinuation of church pageants. Couples who marry civilly can now be married in the temple soon after. You don't have to wait for a full year. That's an incredible blessing. Women with children under the age of 18 can work in the temple. Single men can be temple workers. Boy Scouts completely eliminated. 11-year-old boys can now hold the ironic priesthood, and girls can begin the youth program at age 11. A new seminary curriculum. That was always an interesting one for me because I taught seminary for nine years, and I always wondered why we were teaching something so different than what they were doing in gospel doctrine. To have found a way to align that has been incredible. No more young men's presidency at the ward level. Uh, The proper name of the church, and that focus, President Nelson has been able to carry that out. It's been incredible. Uh, New guidelines for youth interviews, many more, many more. And so the question of why do we need living prophets today, I hope one of the reasons we we could express is obviously because the world changes and times change and there need to be changes in church policies and procedures on occasion to keep up with the world that we live in. All right, let me give you another reason why I feel like we need prophets today. Prophets teach the divinity of Jesus Christ. Our prophet, President Nelson, as Elder Nelson, said that each prophet has had a divine commission to teach of the divinity and the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. In each age, these teachings were meant to help the people, uh, but their disobedience resulted in apostasy, he said. I like this from Elder Anderson. He shared this in General Conference in April of 2018. The talk was entitled The Prophet of God, and he said something that was expressed so well that a prophet does not stand between you and the Savior. Rather, he stands beside you and points the way to the Savior. A prophet's greatest responsibility and most precious gift to us is his sure witness, his certain knowledge that Jesus is the Christ. And I love that our prophets teach that he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. But if you wanted to get down to the root of it and say, okay, why do we need these prophets today? Prophets teach us about the Savior. They help lead us and point us to Jesus Christ. A second reason is because our apostles and prophets are foundation stones to the true church, and they are going to help us. They are going to give us counsel and direction to help us navigate our way through this world, especially the world that we live in right now that's on its, it's practically upside down. Here's Elder Holland, Ensign, November 2004. The apostolic and prophetic foundation of the church was to bless in all times, but especially 
in times of adversity or danger, times when we might feel like children, confused or disoriented, perhaps a little fearful, times in which the devious hand of men or the maliciousness of the devil would attempt to unsettle or mislead. In New Testament times and Book of Mormon times, and in modern times, these officers form the foundation stones of the true church, positioned around and gaining their strength from the chief cornerstone, the rock, who is Jesus Christ. Now, John Taylor said it this way in a very simple way, but he said, Whoever heard of true religion without communication with God? To me, the, the, that thing is most absurd. That's one of the most absurd things, in fact, he said, that the human mind could conceive of. The principle of present revelation is one of the very foundations of our religion. Or in other words, another reason why we need living prophets today is because they do. They do reveal the Lord's will to us, whatever that may be. So one of the things I would recommend that you think about for a minute is what are some teachings from prophets and apostles at recent general conferences that, have, that has helped strengthen the foundation of your faith. And I know that we've had those experiences, many of us have had those experiences where we have heard a talk or a message that, have, that has really changed our life. Let me give you an example of what it may mean to sustain a prophet. Whether you know it or not, on January the 8th, 2017, President Nelson as Elder Nelson came to visit BYU to speak at the devotional that night, that Sunday evening, and he gave an invitation to the student body, but also to the faculty and for all who would hear. He said, commence tonight to consecrate a portion of your time each week to studying everything Jesus said and did. This may seem like a large assignment, he said, but I encourage you to accept it. And by the way, look for this pattern that when prophets, they teach the truth, and then they give us an invitation, and then they always promise a blessing. Look for that pattern. I encourage you to accept it, President Nelson said. If you proceed to learn all you can about Jesus Christ, I promise you that your love for him and for God's laws will grow beyond what you currently imagine. There's the promised blessing if we would do that. Now, how many people did that? How many people went home from that devotional and started a program where they began to study everything that Jesus said or did? And I don't have any you know, data on that, obviously. It would just be a guess. But my sense is, from talking to our BYU students, that not many really took President Nelson up on that invitation or on those blessings. It is our opportunity to sustain these men, these 15 men's, who are prophet, these 15 men who are prophet, seers, and revelators. And how we sustain them is one way, at least, is by listening to and following the counsel that they offer us over and over again. So if you have your scriptures, I would invite you to turn to 2 Nephi chapter 26. I want to talk about some of the blessings that are associated with following prophets. And I think this is a great place to start. And by the way, I once again testify that I could not imagine raising our children in the world that we raised them without the words of our living prophets. I just couldn't imagine doing that then, and I could not imagine doing it now. So, this is 2 Nephi 26, and we'll start in verse probably 3, that the Messiah will come 
There will be signs given unto my people of his birth and of his death. And then this, here we start. And great and terrible shall be that day. Should that day be unto the wicked, where they shall perish. And they perish because they cast out the prophets and the saints and stone them and slay them. Wherefore, the cry of the blood of the saints shall ascend up from God from the ground against them. And all who are proud, in verse 4, and all who do wickedly, the day cometh that they shall burn up, saith the Lord of hosts, they shall be a stubble. Now verse 5, And they that kill the prophets and the saints, the depths of the earth shall swallow them up, saith the Lord of hosts. Mountains shall cover them, whirlwinds shall carry them away, buildings shall fall upon them, and crush them to pieces, and grind them to powder. And they shall be visited with thunderings, and lightnings, and earthquakes, and all manner of destruction. For the fire of the anger of the Lord shall be kindled against them, and they shall be a stubble, and the day cometh that they shall consume, that shall consume them, saith the Lord of hosts. Now time out just for a second. But these were the punishments or the consequences from those who would kill the prophets. That the depths of the earth would swallow them up, mountains would cover them, whirlwinds carry them away, thunderings, lightnings. I mean, it's pretty significant here. Often, though, we could read that and think, okay, those who kill the prophets, I mean, how many people are we talking about here? But how do we kill the prophets? How do we, you know, incur that same type of consequence by not sustaining them, by not following them, by not listening to them, by not even knowing what they're saying, by rejecting their words? Now, we're here to talk about good news today, so I'm going to skip to verse 8 of 2 Nephi 26. Listen closely because the the promises are quite incredible. But behold, the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets, and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ with steadfastness for the signs which are given. They are they which shall not perish. Blessing number one, for following prophets, we shall not perish. Number two, the son of righteousness shall appear unto them. Christ shall appear to them. Number three, he shall heal them. And number four, and they shall have peace. Now, do you know of anyone who lives in this world that wouldn't want those blessings of they not perishing, of B, of Christ appearing to them, of C, Christ healing them, and D, of having peace in our lives? And how do those blessings come? They come from following the living prophets. Now, let me share another, another perspective just for a second. I'm going to turn to 3 Nephi chapter 10. And before I read it, I just want to paraphrase something that President Ezra Taft Benson said years ago. He said, if you want to know what the, what the world is going to be like when Christ comes again, or the conditions of the earth, and I'm paraphrasing, read 3 Nephi 8, 9, and 10. He said, 3 Nephi 8, 9, and 10 are a, are a pattern for us of what will happen when Christ comes again for his second coming. Okay, well, let's get into 3 Nephi 10 for a minute. I'm looking at verse 12 because I want to know, okay, who is left to greet the Savior after all the destruction in 3 Nephi 8 and 9 uh, of, the, of the devastation, of the darkness? 
who was left standing when Christ came again? And here's the answer in verse 12. It was the more righteous part of the people who were saved, and it was they who received the prophets and stoned them not. Now there's the answer. Now it says it was the more righteous part of the people. That's that's pretty good right there. But why are they righteous? Because they received the prophets and stoned them not. To receive a prophet is to receive their counsel, to receive their words, to live according to what they teach. Here's a great promise that will accompany that from President Marion G. Romney years ago, the April 1945 General Conference. Those, and I testify to this out of my own experience, who will, through mighty prayer and earnest study, inform themselves as to what these living prophets say and act upon it, will be visited by the Spirit of the Lord and know by the Spirit of Revelation that they speak the mind and the will of the Father. What a great blessing. Let's talk about more blessings. President James E. Faust, our safety lies in paying heed to that which our prophet says and follow their counsel. President Ballard, I make a promise to you. It's a simple one, but it's true. If you will listen to the living prophet and the apostles and heed their counsel, he said, heed our counsel, you won't go astray. And then how about this from Elder Quentin L. Cook? He said, prophets are inspired to provide us with prophetic priorities to protect us from dangers. When it comes to protecting from dangers, uh, and that was from from Elder Quentin L. Cook, I want to share this with you from one of Elder Cook's talks um, that he gave just not too long ago. He said that President Heber J. Grant, the prophet from 1918 to 1945, was inspired to emphasize adherence to the word of wisdom, the principle with a promise revealed by the Lord through the prophet Joseph Smith. He stressed the importance of not smoking or drinking. He's talking about President Grant now. President Grant, as the prophet, stressed the importance of not smoking or drinking alcohol and directed the bishops to review these principles in temple recommend interviews. At that time, smoking was accepted by society as an appropriate, even glamorous behavior. The medical profession accepted smoking with little concern because the scientific studies linking cigarette smoking with several kinds of cancer were far in the future. President Grant counseled, though, with great vigor that that we became known as a people who abstained from drinking and smoking. Obeying the word of wisdom gave our members, especially our youth, a, a preventative inoculation against drug use and the resulting health problems and the moral hazards, all because a prophet saw ahead. I just always believe that, that prophets, they are the watchmen on the tower, and they're seeing things ahead. They see things that we can't see. Now, let me share this with you about Hans Mill, kind of the opposite kind of story. And I want to be very sensitive to this because I recognize the tragedies that occurred in our church history at Hans Mill were devastating. But I'm going to read this. One of the most tragic and such events in early church history occurred during the difficulties in Missouri uh, when the extermination order of Governor Boggs precipitated the infamous or the infamous, sorry, massacre of the saints at Hans Mill. Now the prophet Joseph used this terrible event as an example of suffering and destruction that could have been averted had counsel been strictly obeyed. At a special conference of the saints in Nauvoo in 1842, so this is after Hans Mill, the prophet taught that despite the persecutions, there would be no lives lost. 
if they would hearken to my counsel. Up to this day, God had given me wisdom to save the people who took counsel. None had ever been killed who abode by my counsel. At Han's mill, the brethren went contrary to my counsel. If they had not, their lives would have been spared. What Joseph meant by this statement can be seen in a revealing conversation between Jacob Han and the prophet in October of 1838. Now, you may remember that prior to the Battle of Crooked River, Joseph had advised all the saints in smaller communities to gather to the larger population centers. Apparently, Jacob Hahn was unwilling to abandon his property as advised, and particularly in view of what had happened in Davies County just a few weeks before. So Hahn went to Far West to consult with the Mormon prophet about the matter, and this is an account of their meeting in their original language here. The morning after the Battle of Crooked River, Han came to Far West to consult with the prophet concerning the policy of the removal of the settlers on Log Creek to the fortified camps. Colonel White and myself, by the way, myself as John D. Lee, were standing by when the prophet said to him, by all means, sorry, move in by all means if you wish to save your lives. Hans, Han replied that if the settlers left their homes, all their property would be lost and the Gentiles would burn their houses and other buildings. Joseph said you had better lose your property than your lives. One can be replaced and the other cannot be restored. But there is no need of losing either if you will only do as you are commanded. Hans said that he considered the best plan was for all the settlers to move into and around the mill and use the blacksmith's shop and other buildings as fort, as a fort in case of attack. In this way, he thought they would be perfectly safe. And Joseph said, you are at liberty to do so if you think best. But then Han departed, well satisfied that he had carried out his point. The prophet turned to Colonel White and said, that man did not come for counsel, but to induce me to tell him to do as he pleased, which I did. Had I commanded them to move in here and leave their property, they would have called me a tyrant. I wish they were here for their own safety. I am confident that we will soon learn that they have been butchered in a fearful manner. And that's prophecy by Joseph Smith. And uh, that account was from Leland Gentry, A History of the Latter-day Saints in Northern Missouri, from 1836 to 18 to 1839. Anyway, we see the pros and the cons, or we see the benefits and the and the and the blessings, but also the consequences for not following prophets. Now, I told you I would review some some um, promises that we can claim, and I want to continue to do that. This is from President Ezra Taft Benson years ago. It was actually in 1957. If you will follow the admonitions of the Lord and heed the counsel of his chosen servants and their callings as prophets, seers, and revelators, I promise you that, check this out, number one, that love and home, love at home and obedience to parents will increase. Number two, faith will be developed in the hearts of the youth of Israel. Number three, and they will gain the power and the strength to combat the evil influences and temptations which beset them. And four, each of our homes may become a veritable heaven on earth. Now, who wouldn't want those promises in their lives? Here's another by Lorenzo Snow many years ago, that no man can be more happy 
than by obeying the living prophet's counsel. You may go from east to west, from north to south, and tread this footstool of the Lord all over, and you cannot find a man that can make himself happy in this church only by applying the counsel of the living prophet in his life. An individual that applies the counsel for this church from his prophets is bound to increase in all that is good. For there is a fountain of counsel which the Lord has established. I love that. I love that promise from President Lorenzo Snow that if we that if we follow the counsel of prophets, that will increase in all that is good. Perhaps the counsel of Elder Robert D. Hales is very pertinent to our day and very real. He said, if we follow the counsel given by the prophets, we can have a life in mortality where we do not bring upon ourselves unnecessary pain and self-destruction. Now, this does not mean that we won't have challenges because we will. And this does not mean that we will not be tested because we will. That's why we're here. Hope you don't mind my paraphrasing here a little bit. But if we listen to the counsel of our prophet, we will become stronger and be able to withstand the test of mortality. We will have hope and joy. All the words of counsel from the prophets have been given so that we may be strengthened. Oh, and here's a key. And then be able to lift and strengthen others. Really? So the counsel that we receive from living prophets is first to strengthen us, but to put us in a, uh, in a position where we can lift and build and strengthen others. I love that because that's what true disciples would do. I think sometimes people assume that our prophets, seers, and revelators, our first presidency and quorum of the 12 apostles sit in a meeting room and maybe think, okay, here's how we can really mess everyone up. Here's how we can ruin people's lives. And we know that they don't do that. But here's President Hinckley. Ensign, November of 1992. There are those who criticize when we issue a statement or of counselor warning. Please know that our pleadings are not motivated by any selfish desire. Please know that our warnings are not without substance and reason. Please know that the decisions to speak out on various matters are not reached without deliberation, discussion, and prayer. And please know that our only ambition is to help each of you with your problems, your struggles, your families, and your lives. And I have that testimony. I believe that our living prophets give us the counsel they give because they care. They want us to be happy. They want us to have peace. They want us to be successful. President Irene said it this way, that because the Lord is kind... He calls servants to warn people of danger. That call to warn is made harder and more important by the fact that the warnings of most worth are about dangers that people don't think are real. So there's something to pay attention to. Another reminder from President Ballard is that when a prophet speaks, our responsibility is not only to obey, but also to obey promptly. He said this, when we hear the counsel of the Lord expressed through the words of the president of the church, our response should be positive and prompt. History shows that there is safety, peace, and prosperity and happiness in responding to prophetic counsel. Years ago, President Harold B. Lee said this, that person is not truly converted until they see the power of God resting upon the leaders of this church and it goes down into their heart like fire, he said. And until the members of the church have that conviction that they are being led in the right way and that they have 
and they have a conviction that these men of God are men who are inspired and have been properly anointed by the hand of God, they're not truly converted. That would be a testimony to pray over. That would be something that we could seek for, to gain that testimony that living prophets speak the word of the Lord. I would like to conclude today by pulling out a couple of oldies but goodies, a couple great stories, uh, maybe both a little, maybe we could say little known. And once again, I, I choose to choose two stories from President Monson's life. And I know President Monson hasn't been with us for a while, but every now and then it's good to revisit some of these wonderful prophets. This story is told by a member of the church that will keep anonymous. But here's what they said. In 1971, our mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, and the doctor said she had less than a 20% chance of surviving for two years. Mother did not know this. Dad did. I found out only because I overheard the conversation between my father and the doctors. Now, months passed, and it was state conference, a a regional gathering of church members. My father was a member of the state high council. And President Monson, one of the Twelve Apostles, directly beneath the prophet, who at that time was Joseph Fielding Smith, was conducting interviews for the position of stake president. Now, this story, by the way, is being told to people who probably aren't members of the church, but maybe some are. So they're explaining some things. But obviously, in our vernacular, this was a state conference. President Monson was presiding at that state conference, and they were changing the stake presidency. So the stake was being reorganized. Before the conference, President Monson met with my father privately, as he did with all the high councilmen, and asked him if he were called, would he serve as stake president? My father's reply was quite stunning. He said no. And in a a religion that believes all leadership positions are decided by God, this was quite an unorthodox response. Brother Tempest, would you like to explain? My father simply said that it would be inappropriate to spend time away from his wife when she had so little time left to live. President Monson stood and said, You are a man whose priorities are intact. After conference, my father was returning to his car. He heard his name called, ignored it at first, and heard it for a second time, and he turned to find that President Monson had now put his hand on my dad's shoulder. And then here's the promise. Brother Tempest. I feel compelled to tell you that your wife will be well for many years to come. I would like to invite you and your family to kneel together in the privacy of your home at noon on Thursday. The brethren will be meeting in the holy chambers of the temple where we will enter your wife's name among those to be healed. Back home, our family was seated around the dinner table. Dad was late. Mother was furious. I'll never forget the look on his face. When he opened the door, he walked... Now, this is kind of going back to that coming home from state conference. He walked over to our mom, held her tightly, and he just wept. What happened, John? Mother asked. And he kind of recounted the story. That Thursday, my brothers and I came home from school to pray. We knelt in the living room as a family at noon on that very time that President Monson had declared... No words were uttered, but in the quiet of that room, I felt the presence of angels. Well, the report is that this mother was healed. Now, you may remember the opening story here. We said it was 1971. 
This mother was healed and lived until 1987, 16 years after President Monson had made the quiet prophetic declaration that she would be well for many years to come. Uh, what a great, what a great, wonderful story of the power and the authority and the mantle that our prophets, seers, and revelators possess. And we know that that healing power comes from the priesthood through faith and through their connection to Jesus Christ. Last experience today, and once again, we'll stay with President Monson here for our theme. As I speak of following the prophets, I will share with you a very intimate experience that I had to provide a conclusion to the remarks I make tonight. When I desire to achieve, I desire to achieve with all my heart, whether it be in athletics, in school, in business, or anything else. I served in the United States Navy towards the end of World War II. I was what is called a seaman, the lowest possible rank in the Navy. Then I qualified to be a seaman first class. Then I qualified to be a yeoman third class. You see, I took shorthand. Why did I take shorthand? I'll give you men about one minute to figure out why. There were only three boys in the whole shorthand class at West High School, and I surely did use it all through my time in the Navy. The war ended and I was later discharged, but I made a decision that if I ever went back into the military, I wanted to serve as a commissioned officer. Now, if you haven't been in the military, I won't take the time to tell you the difference between the apprentice seaman and the commissioned officer. One can only learn that by experience, but once learned, one never forgets. I thought no more mess kitchens for me, no more scrubbing of the decks, if I can avoid it, and I worked like a slave to qualify for that commission. I had been discharged. I joined the United States Naval Reserve. I went to drill every Monday night at Fort Douglas. I studied hard that I might qualify academically. I took every kind of examination imaginable, mental, physical, and emotional. And finally there came from Denver, Colorado, the beautiful news. You have been accepted to receive the commission of an ensign in the United States Naval Reserve. I gleefully showed it to Francis and said, I made it, I made it. She hugged me and said, you've worked hard enough to achieve it. But then something happened. I was called to be a counselor in my ward bishopric. The bishop's council meeting was on the same evening as my Navy drill meeting. I knew there was a terrible conflict, and I knew that I didn't have the time to pursue the Naval Reserve and my bishopric duties. What was I to do? A decision had to be made. I prayed about it. And then I went to see my former stake president when I was a boy, Elder Harold B. Lee. I sat down across the table from him, and I told him how much I valued that commission. In fact, I showed him the copy of the letter appointment that I had received. And then he said to me, after pondering, Here's what you should do, Brother Monson. You write a letter to the Bureau of Naval Affairs and tell them that because of your call, as a member of the bishopric, you cannot accept that commission in the United States Naval Reserve. My heart sank. Then he said, Then write to the Commandant of the 12th Naval District in San Francisco and tell them that you would like to be discharged from the reserve. I don't know how I survived that interview. Or in other words, for President Monson, every single thing that he did not want to hear is what was being shared with him from President Lee. I said, Brother Lee, you don't, under, you don't understand the military. Of course they will decline to give me that commission if I refuse to accept it. But the 12th Naval District is not going to let me off. And a non-commissioned officer will surely be called up with the war brewing in Korea. 
If they are called back, I would rather go back as a commissioned officer, but I won't if I don't accept this commission. Are you sure this is the counsel you want me to receive? Now, those who know Brother Lee know that I was on dangerous ground in questioning him twice, but he put his hand on my shoulder and in a fatherly way said, Brother Bonson, have more faith. The military is not for you. I went I went to my home. I placed the tear-stained commission back in its envelope with its accompanying letter and declined to accept it. I then wrote a letter to the 12th Naval District requesting a discharge from the Naval Reserve. My discharge from the Naval Reserve was the last in the group processed before the outbreak of the Korean War. My headquarters outfit was activated. Six weeks after I had been called to be a counselor in the bishopric, I was called to be the bishop of my ward. I would not be standing before you this evening had I not followed the counsel of a prophet and had I not prayed over that decision. By the way, that was President Thomas S. Monson, BYU Fireside, 2003. But I love that, once again, the idea that prophets know things that we don't know. They see things that we don't see. And in President Monson's life, here he was trying to make for some kind of career path in the military and to have a, an apostle say, no, that's not what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. And then to only be called as a bishop just shortly after that was a testimony to Thomas S. Monson that these prophets are real, that they're inspired, that they are being directed and guided by the Lord himself. And if we follow them, then we will always be on safe ground. Now, I'm kind of cheating here because I told you that I was going to end with those two stories, but I just thought of another one that just seems right to share. It's Elder Packer. Elder Boyd K. Packer, a talk he gave years ago, a classic, called Follow the Brethren. And as he closed that story, he wanted to share a story of Carl G. Mazur. On one occasion, he was leading a party of young missionaries across the Alps, and as they slowly ascended the steep slope, he looked back and saw a row of sticks thrust into the, thrust into the glacial snow to mark the one safe path across the otherwise treacherous mountains. Something about those sticks impressed Brother Mazur. In halting the company of missionaries, he gestured toward them and said, Brethren, there stands the priesthood. They are common sticks like the rest of us. Some of them may even seem to be a, a little crooked, but the position that they hold makes them what they are. And if we step aside from the path that we mark, we're lost. Now, once again, I hope that applies. I hope there's some relevance in that story in your life as Maybe we view prophets, seers, and revelators or leaders, local leaders in our own lives. Maybe we see that there's some crookedness in those sticks sometimes. And I only mean that in the sense of imperfection. But it's the path that they mark that's so important to us. And if we step aside from that path, we're lost. And they are ordinary men. All of us are ordinary like Joseph Smith said, that if you're expecting out of me perfection, then I should expect it of you. Now, I'm so grateful once again for these prophets, their influence in my life. But guess what? Their goodness. These are men who are wonderful fathers and grandfathers, who love their wives, who love the church and the kingdom of God on earth and will give, would give their lives for it. 
I'm grateful to belong to a church with living prophets and share this with you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.